Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the perspectives and opinions of a group of IT luminaries, experts in their field. I'd like to take a moment for our panel to introduce themselves before we jump into the topic or the premise for today's episode, starting with Avril. Hi, my name's Avril Sorter and I'm an independent consultant. I've been working in the wireless industry for many years, over 20 years, I think it is. So welcome. Hi, my name is Mario Jengedal. I'm currently network wireless network analyst at a large financial company back, back up here in Canada. I'm in the networking industry for the last 25 years now, I guess. Uh, hi, I'm Sam Clements. Uh, I've been in the wireless industry for a little over 20 years, uh, and I guess currently unemployed, right? Uh, currently independent consultant, that's what they call it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us for this episode. Let's jump into the premise. You've probably heard a lot of talk about some of the hot new Wi-Fi topics. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Wi-Fi 7. That's a different podcast. This is talking about Wi-Fi 6E. Well, what is 6E? Well, it's that six gigahertz spectrum. It, it's going to require new radios. It's going to require new hardware. Um, it, it's coming. We, we, we keep getting told that it's going to be here any day now. However, we worry about all of the technology that went into making it, all of the compromises that had to happen in order to get this pushed out the door ahead of Wi-Fi 7 so that people weren't just going to be waiting for the next revision because, oh, you know, I, I don't really care one way or the other. So the premise of this episode is that we gave up too much to get Wi-Fi 6E. Now, this topic actually comes to us courtesy of one of our friends, Jake Snyder. He was talking about this a little bit. And one of the things he talked about was the fact that it seems like part of the process was a little bit rushed. Like it felt like that they were kind of compromising some of the uh, the research on things like, you know, does it overlap with existing uh infrastructure that could possibly get in the way? Did we make too many of the things in the standard optional? Um, you know, we're kind of wondering out loud here, you know, how does this something like this happen? Do, do we do we have to give up on these standards so that we can get buy-in? Or should we just say, this is the way things have to be. And if you don't like it, get on board. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get that kicked off for sure. I think there's, I, I think as with a lot of things, it, it starts with, uh, what well, it starts with an ideal, uh, with an idea, but then ends in compromise. Right. And I think that that's ultimately probably where, where he's headed there, which is there is a lot that we do give up in six gigahertz. There's just a lot of concessions that we have to make in order to just even have the privilege of being able to, to, to function in there. And, and there is a lot that we gave up, but I, but I like to think that we gave it up, um, conscientiously like there's a lot of different ways we could have done incumbent mitigation which we, we do that in five gigahertz today through dfs and i think the point was is that we gave dfs a crack a as an example right and and i don't think everybody likes the way it works today and so why can't we do something a little bit better and is there a way that we can all agree that well yeah maybe it takes a little bit of time to get there i think the functional product especially around regulatory management especially around incumbents is going to be far better off than what we have in five gigahertz today at least at least in that one particular regard right and that's that that tends to be the piece i think that's holding up a lot of folks here yeah i i would agree with um sam on those points i think the thing is that um the industry has been growing so very very quickly in terms of demand for wi-fi demand for data and if we didn't open up the band when we did um we were running we were running out of spectrum. We weren't able to perhaps go forward as quickly as we wanted to. 
and to satisfy that market demand. So I think it was really important to open up the six gigahertz as quickly as possible. And I also think that down the road, new technologies will come out, um, improved um, antenna technologies, etc., which will start to perhaps address some of the concerns as well. So I think opening it up early was the right thing to do. And then looking for newer technologies going forward and meeting the demand and letting the industry grow becomes um, the dominant factors. I, I find it interesting when we start talking about, you know, expanded use cases and, and um, you know, business justification for adopting six gigahertz and the like. I don't know that I've heard a single business use case today that requires six gigahertz that couldn't be done in five gigahertz. And so while I agree that it's awesome to have the spectrum open, I agree it's awesome to have all this great, wonderful room to play in. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a single application today that couldn't be done in five gigahertz. Yeah, you might have to take some planning, but really isn't that all I've done in six gigahertz is a bunch of pre-planning for us, especially around things like channel width and the like. I, they've just took, taken something that, that we've cobbled together for a decade, trying to trying to muddy our way through spectrum management in five gigahertz, especially around channel widths and DFS and the like, and they just put a plan on it. And so, like, yeah, I can see um, that it is awesome, but I don't. I've never heard of a single thing that we can't do in five gigahertz today. I think the demand for data, wireless data, is is the underlying. It's not like one silver bullet application, but the demand is going like this. And so if you don't have enough spectrum to meet that demand, then, uh, and that's really what I was referring to, is just the significant growth of data, not a silver bullet application. Personally, I think that the fact that with 6e you you drop all the backward compatibility compatibility sorry will be the biggest winner because for every new standard they introduce they always say oh this will be the holy grail of wi-fi but we still have oh you know what we might still have that old 802.11b scanner what have you that is there and will kill all your spectrum look at even today, we have deployment, we have vast majority of AO2.11x, but you know what? I have a small Apple Watch, and that thing is 802.11n, one spatial train. So when that thing talks, it's everyone around. I think that's the biggest thing about 6C is the no backward compatibility. But it comes with a, with a cost in terms of configuration, in terms of planning, and all those you know, nice thing that used to work it may not work. Like roaming might be challenging, especially if you move from six to five or five to six. So a question that I have kind of around that same thing was I heard a lot of chatter from friends of mine in the wireless industry about how um, modern devices, you know, were falling behind because they didn't have 6E radios in them. I'm specifically talking about Apple's MacBook, Apple's iPad, um, Apple's iPhone, uh, you know, I, the iPhone is completely outdated because it only has a six radio. It doesn't have 6E like the iPad or the MacBook or some of the, the Android phones that have been put out. But Sam, you know, what you what you said and kind of what everybody else said is, you know, you don't need that because you have enough bandwidth from the devices that you're using. And Mario, kind of to your point, even in a MacBook or an iPad, from what I've understood, even getting the six gigahertz radio to connect requires you to connect on 
the five gigahertz radio to create some of the, or to connect some of the handshake stuff. So in a way, we still have to support all of these other devices. So why is it that people have this idea that you have to be running the latest technology? By that same token, I could say that every handset is completely outdated now because it doesn't have a Wi-Fi 7 radio in it because I've seen a Wi-Fi 7 access point. I mean, granted, it's not in the wild and it's a consumer grade device. But I mean, where, where, does the, where does the elevator stop? I guess would be a good way to put it. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it never will and 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 really i think you you really hit the nail score on the head there tom where which is you know these use cases as, as avril said right it's about servicing the data demand not necessarily a specific thing that you're trying to do and these devices are all are all about being able to connect anywhere and do the best they can with what with the resources they have like i like i get it that's why we have cbrs support in the iphone despite the fact that it's clearly not taking like we expected it would um and so we see some of these things that I hope that we're not going to get to a point where we see manufacturers start dropping some of these other technologies like CBRS in favor for things like six gigahertz. We know they have to make choices. We know they have to make choices from thermal envelope, from COGS perspective, from, uh, you know, just resources in the devices. And at some point they're going to go, okay, cool. What's going to, what's going to pay off more something like having CBRS or something like six gigahertz. And I think it's just going to turn our, it's just going to in turn fragment the industry more because you're going to get those Android manufacturers who go, well, I'm going to leave this out in order to grab this. And you just end up with inconsistent technology adoption across devices. It's going to be a really long time before we see six gigahertz pervasively available. If I may, I'm CBRS is great in the U.S. I'm not sure about if it's open in the uh, in Europe. It's sure not still not. Open. Yeah. Yeah, well, even yeah, because if you talk about CBRS, the problem is this is great for US, it doesn't work. I think that 60 will probably have more traction because more and more countries are opening the spectrum. In fact, EMEA opened it, uh, most of them. Uh, we curiously, uh, I it's, it's it used to be uh, Industry Canada, now I think it's I said something like that. They had just more letter to the to the uh, to the the, um, the regulation, um, what is it? The regulation, uh, it's not company organization. Sorry, that they they went quickly and they opened it. Uh, they opened it the whole spectrum, which is great for us. And even though you know, Apple was never very quick to to adopt new new speed. Remember the when they released the first, I think when they moved to for to LTE, they were not the first one there because oh energy consumption and what what they have in their country. So thing will come. It's it's kind of like you know fill a dream, build it, and people will come. I think this is where we are going to. The challenge is always what comes first. You know the the chicken or the hand. And at my previous employer I was always afraid of saying you know what I'll have that you know very important person that will buy the latest and greatest android what have you device that will support 6e and will come to me and say hey you know what why am I not getting that great speed because hey you know what your infrastructure is not up to date so it's a give and take so I was going to make um, a two comments to, to Tom's question. First is that I don't think there's a wireless technology that I've come across that you always have that challenge of are the clients going to be there 
or is the access point or the base station going to be first? And sometimes even the Wi-Fi, be it cellular, be it any wireless technology, sometimes we see the base stations going first and the clients lagging. And sometimes we see the clients driving it and the base station access points lagging. But we've always had that wrestle. So I think we might have it today, but it will go. Just like, you know, if history is going to tell us anything, that struggle will go. We will see both eventually. Um, the other point I was going to make was... Um, you know, you can never have enough spectrum, right? Um, it's just what it is. There's always going to be demand for spectrum. There's always going to be technology that will be evolved into that spectrum. So, so it will happen. The um, I think Sam's point is really interesting um, because when we look at the six gigahertz, you because of the regulations, the radio is quite different. Um, and so it does take a time to, to actually build that and invest that. At the same time, we have an interesting kind of quandary because um, in the six gigahertz, we didn't need backward compatibility, um, but we've kept many of the features and capabilities of how Wi-Fi works the same, which does potentially make it a little bit quicker to enter the market, but at the same time was a lost opportunity. And um, we could have we could have done things very differently in the Wi-Fi standards, but there would have been a delay to the market. And I don't know quite which way is best, um, but I do think that there was a lost opportunity in the Wi-Fi space not to have been, look, do we want to do things fundamentally different, um, uh, you know, in terms of things like scheduling functions and, and some of those things. No doubt about it. I think that it was it, that that we're so that we're perpetuating the backwards compatibility problem, which is we're starting. We sort of drew a line in the sand and we said, "Hey, this you know from this point forward is all new with the six gigahertz adoption." But what's that going to look like in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years? We're going to be looking back, going, "Man, you remember that that six E stuff that we have to stay compatible with now? Shoot, we messed that all up." And I, I, the, the, you're a hundred percent correct. We we just now reset the backwards compatibility problem and we defer it for another couple decades that's awesome but what about my kids i'll actually add one more wrinkle in there avril because i i know for a fact that that the the ultimate goal of a standards body is to produce something that is you know basically it's a compromise which means nobody is happy the only time that standards bodies are able to vehemently agree on something is when there is a bad guy in the room that they can all unite against and the three examples that I can give you of that are 802.1Q, 802.3AF, power over Ethernet, or I'm sorry, AT, and Trill. In two of those cases, literally the entire industry united to do the opposite of what Cisco wanted. And in the third case, I have it on good authority that at least four people in the Trill working group literally united to not do what Radia Perlman wanted. So in a way... We don't get standards unless nobody is happy or everybody is literally bullying somebody out of the room. So could we have done it a little bit better? Yes. Would it have taken forever to do? Probably. We might not have even gotten a 6E. It probably would have been like, you know, a 6 update 2 or just rolled forward into 7. But ultimately, what happened was, quite honestly, there were too many people that had their own little way of wanting things to be done. And there was no enemy to unite against. So 
did that create enough tension in the industry where they just said, well, fine, we'll make everything optional. You don't have to agree to any of it. And we don't care as long as we can get this thing pushed out the window because we've already printed this, the Wi-Fi 6E stickers that we want to hand out and we got to have something. You bring up a really interesting point. I sometimes think um, that the reason why everything in the standard is optional is because if you can't get anybody to agree, you just make lots of options in there and you can go this way or that way. And I'm not saying it's happening now, but years ago when I actually wasn't independent and actually worked for a company, you know, a couple of us as big companies would actually get together behind the scenes and agree what we were actually going to implement. And we would narrow down those options considerably and then we force it into the market. Um, that was the days when big players dominated a little bit more than they do today. And I don't know, and I don't have any insights whether it's happening today. But I think you're absolutely right there, Tom. Is um, Options get it out the door and get the standard done. And then the big players can work behind the scenes to work out what features actually roll out when and get consistency between them. So along those same lines. We're not talking about standards bodies right now. We're talking about regulatory bodies because the last time I checked, I can hang a Wi-Fi 60 access point in my house as long as it has integrated Omni antennas and the power levels are dialed back. As soon as I try to hang that thing outdoors, I'm going to get in trouble. If I try to, I can't even connect an external antenna to it because there's no place to plug the antennas in. We're, we're dealing not only with a standards body that, you know, finally has agreed to disagree on everything, but we're dealing with a regulatory body who is taking their time as government agencies do to make sure that there are no problems. Meanwhile, we did find a bad guy. It's the incumbents who owned the six gigahertz spectrum before it was opened up, coming in, banging pots and pans everywhere, claiming that there's too much interference for their critical mission, critical operations. And if you do this, then you're going to destroy us and, and all this other stuff. And the FCC is trying to balance both sides. Well, you've got the Wi-Fi people on one side clamoring to open this up so they can use it for point to point bridges or whatever. And the incumbents on the other side claiming that airplanes are going to start falling out of the sky if we let people broadcast outdoors. So how can we work with the regulatory bodies to ensure that we can fully implement the standard as written while at the same time understanding the pressure that they're under by, quite honestly, the people lobbying them. Well, we could take the we could take a page out of politics and just out extreme them. We just we just be be more more atrocious and more you know well well if you don't turn it on then the planes are going to start falling from the sky or the or the moon's going to fall right yeah no that um th- there there's sometimes it's hard to argue with those sort of illogical responses but yeah un- unfortunately because they were there first they they do have first rights and I think the FCC in in that regard has done a good fashion I think that a- AFC management especially around incumbents is probably better than DFS. And as a note there, I was actually talking with Stuart Strickland a couple of weeks ago during a rib atmosphere because we were having this discussion about, well, how often should the the access point check in with the uh, with the AFS database in order to make sure that it's not stomping all over someone's spectrum? And my argument to uh, some of the people there was, how often does the spectrum change that it needs to check in super frequently? And uh, Stuart was like, yeah, we managed to talk them down from a day. 
because we thought maybe once every week or month would be sufficient. And they wanted it either every hour or constantly connected just in case. And there was no way that we would be able to do that. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of funny when we look at something going a day is reasonable and other people are like, it has to be connected at all times or there's no way we'll use it. When we know for a fact, some of those radio frequencies haven't changed for years. Yeah. That, 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 that is pretty atrocious. You're right. Um, and I think that, you know, as, as we look at those things that do drive channel changes and we do look at this very, very reasonably, your big changes come from when you're, when your facility moves, right. Or when you're, when you move a rack or when you move a thing, but yeah, by and large, I'd expect those things to be pretty static. Yeah. You're going to have some churn here and there, but I would expect those to be, uh, you know, far less than, you know, checking them once a day, but I think that's probably where they're going to end up. Yeah. I also think, you know, the FCC has dealt with these issues in other spent spectrum for years. I mean, it's not that long ago. Well, actually, it probably is a lot while ago when they were looking at the pulse spectrum, right? And the ultra wideband and all the cellular guys were getting upset and saying, oh, my God, it's going to destroy our cellular networks and 911 calls are not going to be able to be made. And, you know, so I think I think we have to have trust in the process. Um let them argue it out, let the test be done, um, and and look at technologies that can avoid these techniques. But but we've been here so many times in the past years that this is just a process we have to follow. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of discussions, but I'm I'm very confident we're going to get there in the end. And the six gigahertz band will be usable inside and outside. You know, the one thing we do get, um, you, as you said, we've been here before. I think the one thing that makes this different is the fact that once we start doing AFC check-ins, we'll be able to go back and look at that data. Think think if we think about it, we're, you're running an AFC service for a year, two years, five years, 10 years. What are you going to be able to do to go back and look at that data from an analytics perspective and go, okay, cool. We had all these check-ins at one day and, you know, we had, you know, these services checked in for years and years and years and years, and they got a whopping two changes. You know, there will be an opportunity at some point in the future to go back and revisit these things now that we have a systems in place to go watch and log these changes. Hopefully, at least that's what the goal is, right? Let's go back and look at these from an uh, from an analytics perspective after the fact and, and get it cleaned up so that we can move to a week or a month, right? That should be far more reasonable. So one other thought that I had kind of talking about Avril's um, suggestion that we, you know, we've been here before and we trust in the process and, and the technology will win out, but we're not just fighting technology. We're dealing with marketing. And one of the things that has come up is the fact that, you know, we had six, this is six E or six R2, depending on which version you're using, but seven is right around the corner. So in an, in a perfect world, the amount of time that we have between the implementation of, you know, these new revisions before 802.11be comes out, we'd have enough time to sort everything out. But what we're really faced with is customers who don't want to upgrade the access points they've got because there's something kind of new on the horizon and they'll wait for that. So now you have vendors who are using all manner of fun things to get people to want to buy those access points, even if they know they're not ready yet. I've talked to a number of companies who are like, yeah, you can buy our access point. It's Wi-Fi 6E ready. 
Like, what does ready mean? They're like, as soon as we're allowed to turn the things on, it'll be ready to go. But we don't know when that is. And all I'm thinking of is the draft in APs that, you know, we had to go rip radios out of them or the clamshells that we had to tear apart and put new parts in because, well, it turns out that the thing we sold you wasn't really the thing that actually was going to get you know, ratified. So that means none of your new laptops are going to work with the old access point, And we're going to have to figure out how to get you to pay a fee to upgrade those or something like that. And again, it goes back to what Avril said, we've been here before. And, and how do we prevent that from happening? How can we hold off the marketing people and the salespeople long enough to let the technology sort itself out? Well, what did they do on IPv6? Because that's been a smashing success, hey, right? Hey, hey, whoa. whoa. <laughs> we're, we're not bringing up 25-year-old technology here, Mr. Clemens. You, you said the technology will win out. That's all I'm saying. If I can add, just stop paying the, vent, the, the salesman and marketing by the amount of money they bring back to the company. That's basically, you know, yeah, I know you're laughing, but that's basically it. Okay, I, I, I have a new gizmo that I need to sell, so I have to make it great every year. And that's capitalism at its best, and that's okay. That's a system that works. But at the end of the day, is have have that access point that let's say do Wi-Fi six. It's sure that in, name your vendor will come up with that new gizmo to do Wi-Fi six C or seven or what Wi-Fi ninety nine. Nobody no, nobody knows how many years, and they want you to buy the greatest and you know the best and greatest technology, the latest one, even though it's not really, even though you don't need it, because hey, they, they got to get they make their money, their numbers at the end of the day, and please the investors. So, I will say that given the choice of the two things we just discussed. It's more likely that IPv6 will actually be implemented in reality in large numbers than it will be to convince the salespeople that oh, not get paid I, on the I, I agree on that. Right. I was going to say what they should have done is made IPv6 mandatory for 6 gigahertz or Wi-Fi 6E. That would have made you happy. <laughs> Well, I mean, but but that that's part of what it comes back to is, and, and we've dealt with this over the years in a number of industries, whether it's IPv6 or Wi-Fi 5 or, or anything, we've eventually had to resort to these kinds of, for lack of a better term, mind games or things like that. I mean, one of the reasons why IPv6 adoption has actually risen as much as it has in the last three or four years is because the U.S. federal government is mandating that you must be IPv6 compliant in order to sell systems to the federal government. Suddenly now everybody's enabling everything to run on IPv6. So do we find ourselves in a situation where we basically have to say, we have to make these things mandatory? Like Netflix will only stream 4K video to your phone if it has a 6E radio in it. Um, I, I actually made that recommendation for why IPv6 and Netflix didn't take me up on it. So make that case and, and see if Netflix is ready to go with that. It's not without precedence, we've done it before. I mean, moving from TKIP to AES with data to 11N or, or excuse me, off of WEP, right? Punishing people, taking punitive measures so that people get off of old technology. That, that That's not unheard of, so. Yeah, I think, I think we're still struggling to get off B because of some uh, deployments, um, you know, hospitals, things like that. I think there's some basic stuff we can mandate before we start mandating perhaps some of the higher end stuff, but... Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think Wi-Fi has always been really great at putting it out there and, and then allowing the innovation. And I feel like if we, uh, the, the, I'd like to see the six gigahertz um, 
go through a period of innovation before we start mandating things in it. Uh, personally, from a personal viewpoint, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I also think the states kind of um, has kind of led the world a little bit and has forced the issues um, in the six gigahertz. And I think that was very advantageous now. Um, I think it pushes the um, ITUR to really start addressing some of these issues because they they're always behind, but hopefully they can catch up a little bit faster, right? So it puts it on the uh, global agenda. Um, and I think that's incredibly valuable. Um, All right. Well, as you've heard, there's a lot of things that go into building technology. It's not just making the technology itself work, whether it's 4K QAM or VSS coloring or any one of the other things that people are trying to work on and make the technology better. There's regulatory concerns. There are... Um, standards bodies that you need to appease. There's even, um, you know, marketing and salespeople that you have to deal with. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you deliver the standard that can be adopted. You deliver the technology that can be implemented. And if we waited for the perfect solution to come along every time, we would still be banging rocks together next to a giant monolith instead of driving uh, autonomous vehicles while we surf the web on our pocket supercomputers. Everything needs to be iterated. Everything needs to be adjusted. And the next version may be the perfect one for what you need. That'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can always find the latest episode on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. Just look for the On-Premise IT Podcast. And yes, we are using premise correctly in that case. We should be back again in another couple of weeks with another great episode. And in the meantime, please make sure you check out all of the coverage from Mobility Field Day, where all three of our guests will be delegates along with some other great influencers and experts in the community. Head to techfieldday.com and look for Mobility Field Day 9 for more details. We'll see you soon.